0: n e t s u i t e dot com slash w t f. the gate. <laughs> All right, let's do this. How are you? What the fuckers? What the fuck buddies? What the fucking ears? What the fucksters? What the fuckadelics? What the fucking What the fuck What the fuck uh, uh What the fucking crats? What the fuck publicans? What the fuckers? I just throw a few out there because we are marking a milestone. We're marking something. Today is the 900th episode. This episode, today's episode is the 900th episode of this podcast. Sure. Some podcasts have more episodes than that. Some have less. Some had whatever. None of that matters. We've been been doing two new shows a week for 900 episodes wow that's crazy and most of them most of them took place in this garage and that's really what's happening that's what's happening that is what is happening the garage we're moving we're moving in a couple weeks it's all going to be in a new place i gotta i'm going out to buy i gotta rent a pickup got to rent a pickup and be a guy with a pickup for a day or two to uh, all I'm really re- replacing is maybe this table that I have the mics on, that, maybe only because I think it should be black. But, but other than that, it's all going. But that is really what marks this podcast. We've only got a few more interviews in here. I'm nervous to get started over at the other place, but I'm going to get it set up. It's going to be a mess at first, and it's not going to be together, but I will get the mics over there, and we'll get the equipment up, and we'll get to talking to people over there, and we'll have that experience. But that is what's happening. That's marking the 900th episode is the, the last days of the garage. I mean, I can't believe it. I mean, I can't believe I've done 900 of these. And I'm really at that point now where sometimes I don't know if I've talked to somebody on here. I don't remember what we talked about. Thank God, Brendan McDonald, my producer and business partner, has a memory long term all, all the way through 900 of them. I have to be reminded. I, I, he obviously has a much better, mem- better memory than me, but, but also like he has to listen to these things again. Really, as I've told you before, probably, that the experience for me in these conversations ends when the people leave this garage. So it's, I can only remember organically. I, I don't have to edit it and hear it again or a third time. But they all start to drift, don't they? Don't they, the experiences? the conversations the events in one's life that's what's interesting about this garage is that you know what am i keeping up there and a lot of it needs to be triggered do you know i mean a lot of it a lot of the memories need i need a i need a i need them to get a jump start give me a time give me a place give me a person give me a tone so like in a in a few minutes i'm going to go through some of this stuff go in, in the garage here those are the triggers you know I got to, if I look at my, the list of the 900 people I've talked to in here, most of them, those would be the triggers. Just those moments all shared in here, this air, this space, the dust. There's, if, if, if most of dust is skin, there's the, a little bit of skin from a lot of fucking people around this garage. But uh, I'll, I'll get into that. I'll get into the transition to the spiritual, mental, emotional transition and the, the jogging of memories in a in a few minutes. Uh, Nick Nolte is on the show today. Nick Nolte has uh, written a memoir. Well, he's he's gotten some help writing the memoir. Uh, that's gone on for a while, so he claims it's called "Rebel: My Life Outside the Lines." You can get that book wherever you get books. But it's it's it's. I'm happy that he just so happens to be the one on the 900th episode for reasons that I'm still I'm still sort of. Uh, I'm still sort of ruminating on. So, the garage memories, sorting through things, transitions. Uh, I spent a, a bit of time with a handheld mic and a bit on this mic over a few days, uh, spread out over a couple of weeks. Kind of starting to process moving and and actually going through stuff. And uh, so this is a this is how we're going to do this today. I'm I'm going to sort of. Uh, cut to myself here going through the garage and having that experience having memories jogged a lot a lot of the memories that were jogged are still sort of hanging over me today some of them good some of them bad but uh but uh let's do it together let's do it right now so this is what the plan is i'm gonna i'm gonna take down stuff here in the garage moving towards the selling of the house. So I've set up a few boxes here. I've got a box for documents, and I've got a box for stuff I'm gonna keep, and I've got a box for stuff that I'm probably not gonna keep, nothing personal. And the first thing I'm looking at over here is, these are these are the notes for uh, the Obama interview. And I saved this, this thing from the Secret Service telephone trap sheet please fill out the blank spaces with as much information as possible special agents may sign as a witness and then bomb threat sheet um i don't know what all that meant but it it, as a page it looks pretty good oh i see you had a checklist i guess i checked this stuff i didn't fill out here and then there's just the notes from brendan that we put together to talk to obama about and then there's my notes and some more notes so i should keep this uh it was a fairly complicated day so that goes in the document box. Oh, it's already it's already happening. Oh my God. This weird thing is a strange man made out of pipe cleaners straddling a rat, a plastic, a rubber rat. I've had this since college. I remember making it when I was high. The pipe cleaner guy has a very defined cock and balls for some reason, and he's riding a rat. Uh, it seems like a, a rare piece of ephemera. I will keep that. This is the first iPod. Ah, that seems like I should keep that. Oh, this is some notes. Who is this? Father, politics, why? Enlisted in Navy, political help his father. Inter- oh, Al Gore. Al Gore notes. I'll keep those. This is a Spider-Man comic with the not ready for primetime players. And I think it's close to the original cast of uh, SNL. Yeah, minus Chevy and Spider-Man. I don't know where I got this, but I'll keep that. Oh, here's my high school diploma. I did it. I did it. Mark David Marin. satisfactorily completed the course of study prescribed for graduation from Highland High School. Look at that. Look at that. I did it, folks. I should keep that. These are some weird fake stamps I got. Um, Dr. Kevorkian stamps. I should keep those. This is a picture of St. Maximilian Kolbe, a monk who fought fascism on the radio. It was given to me by Roger Corman with some expectations, and I don't i don't know if I lived up to them, maybe I do, but uh, it was a lot of pressure. This is a Richard Pryor, Is It Something I Said 8-track, and a Take Offs and Put Ons, a George Carlin. These are both 8-tracks, they're kind of nice to have around, they look good. And this is a David Koresh CD, Voice of Fire, it's recordings of actually David Koresh singing, which I'll keep because it's part of a weird time, right? Why did I have that? Why would you want that? Well, there was a time where I was thinking, where I thought, well, that's really cool. It's David Koresh CD. This is, um, someone knitted me uh, uh, some uh, dog shit. This is knitted dog shit. I know it's what it is. I don't know if you would know that's what it is. Kind of looks like a donut that didn't come out right, but it's like crocheted, I think. It's, yeah, it's supposed to be dog shit, but it's knitted. People and their crafts. I'm not sure I need to keep that one. Oh, and here, look, we have a box of pictures from my entire life. From all, just a mess of Polaroids and pictures from my entire life. Oh, there's me holding my first wife's sister's daughter, who's probably in her 20s now. Oh, my God. This is me right after I got out of rehab the first time back in the 80s, wearing a devil suit, kind of, robe. Me and my dad's wedding. Me, oh, the WBCN comedy riot, 1988. This is the moment that I lost and came in second oh my god look at these pictures me freshman year college me naked with a guitar who took that that's the big question who took that oh here's my mom and my brother and uh, that was at my second wedding oh my god me and the second wife what is this oh this is me on the honeymoon that happened late doing a selfie looking not happy oh man you know what maybe it's not a good day to go through pictures maybe i should just close this thing up Ooh, what is this envelope these look like old pictures what's in here oh look at that it's my parents they must have been like newlyweds oh look there's my mom at the height of her anorexia looking Ugh. my god all righty well this didn't turn out to be as fun as i thought it would be with the pictures what do we got over here Uh uh-oh it's a big plastic box labeled Journals and Personal. Oh, boy. I don't know if I should be reading these out loud or anything. There was a period there where I was writing every day to keep my sanity during the divorce. And some of these I thought would yield something. In waking consciousness today, I felt truly alone on the planet with my heart. Oh, my God. And then I talk about seeing my ex-wife. I, You know, let's not do this now either. But uh, I have them. I have them all! I have all of those <laughs> journals. Uh, what else is in here? This is my dad's stethoscope without the rubber on it that he's had since medical school. That he used to carry in his bag. I should keep that. This is a box of candles that somebody made with their teeth. Carved with their teeth. I'm gonna keep that. This is... Oh, 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 oh! That fell down. I don't need it. I don't... I wasn't gonna keep that. This is a little fuck sampler. Just says framed fuck. In, you know, in that knitted sampler book. Oh, this is half of uh, George Orwell's 1984. It was sawed in half by Ross Broccoli when we were converting a bookshelf into a CD shelf in my apartment in New York City uh, on East 16th Street. He just brought a, a fucking power saw thing, handsaw, and we just cut that thing in half and somehow or another George Orwell's 1984 was cut in half as well and I keep it it's a weird moment it was it seemed to be hilarious at the time morning sedition mousepad with me and mark riley from air america I'm gonna keep that there's the cup the obama cup i have to keep that i i don't know how to 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 do this because i think what i really want to talk about on some level is is the importance of this place, which many of you already know and I already know what's happened in this garage, the people that have been through here. I can read a list of the 900-plus people that have sat across from me, some of them famous, some of them not so famous, but all of them engaging and interesting, and a lot of things in my heart and in my mind you know, changed here in this garage through having these conversations over the last, uh, what, eight years or so? I mean it's it's pretty astounding and I and I know a lot of people are freaked out or panicky about what happens next but this garage as sacred as it is will become a sacred space for the next person I know that the person who was in here before me recorded music in here I know that this space is a special space but it doesn't have to just be my special space I can move on to a new special space I can move on with my new skills that I learned in this special space but it is kind of wild to think of the people that sat in here and what I've moved through in my own life in here and as I sort of. Of kind of move through the garage and I look around at these books I can I've I, I have books in here that I've accumulated my whole life you know through college through the beginning of comedy through you know my entire life there are books in here that that I've taken with me and they mean something even if they're just to look at I have you know pieces of art on the wall photographs that have, that mean something to me me and Sam Kenison Dennis Hopper from Apocalypse Now the cast of Freaks the poster for my HBO comedy half hour from 1995 I I've got a picture of black and white eight by ten of Howlin' Wolf on the floor singing his heart out. I've got a picture of me and my mentor, Gus Blaisdell, from the Living Batch Bookstore with, with his business card under it. Rest his soul, man. I've got a pic of me and my brother. i got the first Zap comic. I've got the envelope that destroyed my life when it was sent to my house when I was living with my wife and it was addressed to the woman who became my second wife. I've got a picture of me in a towel and my brother in a tux on his wedding day. I've got a cutout of the New Yorker listing of Jerusalem syndrome. I got an 8 by 10 of Muddy Waters. I've got the laminated Times piece that changed the course of my life up on the wall. The full New York Times piece by Dan Saltstein that uh, profiled me in the beginning of this podcast in this garage. I've still got the picture of me and my mother when I was a baby on top of the shelf. I've got some old high school yearbooks. I've got some uh, this and that, a fire truck that was from the old days at Aramarka. A fan brought me a fire truck to a gig. It's all here. But I'm basically saying that everything that I've ever lived through or everything I've ever accumulated, it's represented here for my entire life, for my entire life. This is what surrounded me and my guests. This is the, the a sort of functional uh, depiction of the inside of my mind of what made me. Representations of what made me who I am surround me in this space. And in a lot of ways, You know, people walking into this space are walking into my mind, into my heart, you know, into my soul, if you want to. Believe that kind of stuff. That you know, despite the sort of comfy sort of, there's a rug on the floor. There, you know, everything seems a, a bit uh not chaotic, but you know, it's wall to wall stuff. There's a lot of stuff here on the the desk itself. Just little things that people can play with: a half a hammer, a knife, a pair of dice, uh, exercise hand thing. You know, uh, a weird uh you know melted record. It just bits and pieces: coasters, pencils, you know, pieces of rocks, guitar picks. It's everything that I've ever been. And everything that I've become, you know, really is represented in this space, in this cozy, strange, basically single car garage built in the 1920s. But all this stuff is going with me, people. I'm moving to a bigger place, but I know that the magic is here, but it's not like a ghost. Magic is not like a ghost. You know, this space, you know, it was a space that I occupied. When I got this space, you know, it it had a a crumbling concrete floor. I put a wood floor in here and I had plans that that were never realized for this space. And then it just became a junk. It just became, you know, stuff that didn't fit in the house in my small house and then when we started the podcast I just stuck a table in the middle of that junk there was no order there were no shelves there was no you know sense of style or or pictures on the wall it was just a table in the middle of some junk and I started recording on my, on my laptop the first uh, after like maybe podcast 11 or 12 that's how it was just me sitting with these SM7 mics on desk you know mic stands you know the ones that the, the sort of freestanding short ones that sit on a table with these big mics that are supposed to be on booms and i was doing it i knew i needed these mics and what do i really get attached to in here these mics i think are special and these old bookshelves that i i some bought at a thrift store that were once at the la mental mental hospital i love them and then these like acoustic panels foamy stuff that i replaced because Laughing Andy, who was the board op for the Marin show, the last incarnation of me on radio at Air America, which was on KTLK, he had some laying around his house. He came over, Laughing Andy, and, uh, and set me up. You know, because I, I didn't know what mixer to get, and I knew the mixer that we used to take on remotes when we were working at Air America, and it was this little Samson. They don't make him anymore. MDR6, the analog mixer that I plug into GarageBand with RCA cable. And I run the mics into it. It's a little blue mixer. They don't make them anymore. But this is the secret. This is the magic. Everybody I've talked to in here has gone through this mixer. Has run through this mixer. Has run through these mics. These are these are magic. I believe these are more magic than than the garage. Sometimes this mixer, because it's fucked up. It's short now. Watch. I bet you, if I play with this knob, you'll hear it. Did it short out? Oh, it didn't. Oh, that's. Well, that's hey, maybe it, maybe it hears me. Maybe it fixed itself, but the mixer's going with me, the mics are going with me, and I guarantee you all this stuff is going with me. Am I going to miss this space? Did something happen in this space? Is this space cozy? Is there like the, the the barn doors on this thing that I've locked with padlocks that wing out and open that I've replaced once because of the rain? You know the memories I have outside of people, you know, coming in here are memories of you know almost flooding the garage because there was no drainage when the monsoon season hits. I put these drains in. I remember being out there with Dean Del Rey and and Brenton Billcomb, who he happened they happened to be in the neighborhood, and they drove me to the Home Depot. We got sandbags and we sandbagged the front of the garage in pouring rain so it wouldn't flood out. Save the garage, save the garage. Yeah. Even with the noise outside, the planes, the lawn equipment, the dogs, it's quiet in here, it's cozy. The fact that it was somewhere that most people who live in LA have never been. There there's something about the fact that it was a media stop, you know, in a, in a strange kind of run-down neighborhood back then. What they had to drive through back then was would not indicate that anything was happening here it was tucked away how many people came in here just going where am i they're here they're at the garage they're at the cat ranch they're about to talk to me in this garage see now i'm feeling it now i'm starting to feel the sadness yeah this garage changed my fucking life This garage holds a lot of fucking beauty and magic, laughter and tears, all of it. That's for sure. This garage is magic. But I think the new garage is going to be good. (laughs) I'm going to miss this place. But I got to tell you, I'm excited. I'm excited to set up the new space. I'm excited to expand. I'm excited to get more shit, more things, more books. I'm excited to make that new space cozy. I'm excited there's a bathroom in it. But this place is magic. You guys are right. You're right. But I think, got to be honest with you, at this point, looking around it, the slight staleness of the setting from my point of view, I'm thinking about 89% of the magic is me. And on the other side of it is the other person. So I think that the new garage can make up for that magic. If it only has to be like 7 6% magic, I think it's there. That house was built before this one. The new house is older than this one. I'm sad, but I think like, I think, I think this garage knows that we've done what we've done. We've done what we could and that it's time. It's time. It knows it's time for me to move on. This house knows that. I believe that. Yeah. Yes, it's, yeah, I, it's emotional time, emotional time, man, it really is. So Nick Nolte, what a, what what a treat, what a treat to, to get, uh, to sit with Nick Nolte, who made one of my favorite movies, uh, North Dallas 40, uh, whose title I confused with Semi-Tough at the beginning of this interview. That was an embarrassing moment because I, I just had a brain skid. But the interesting thing about Nolte if i'm going to sort of create a theme that may or may not be there is that you just heard me go through the garage and have my memory and feelings triggered by by bits and pieces of uh, artifacts of my life things that i've held on to for years that are connected to memories but those memories are not always accessible. It literally felt today, uh, or the day that I spoke to Nick Nolte, that, that his brain was not unlike my garage, where he was just wandering through it, being triggered by bits and pieces of, uh, of things that happened to him. And that was the vibe of this interview, and I just sort of let him do it. You know, you can put most of them together, They all kind of come together, but there's not a real defined timeline, and we we move around a lot of places. We we spend some time in the garage of Nick Nolte's mind here, so enjoy that. His book, Rebel, My Life Outside the Lines, is available now wherever you get books. This is me and Nick Nolte be optimistic is that that patch
1: that's great one. be optimistic <laughs> yes sure yeah. no problem yeah. i'm on it
0: yeah <laughs> <laughs> that's, that's a challenging one yeah are you optimistic i have to be yeah <laughs> otherwise wouldn't keep on going you know <laughs> i guess that's true right sure 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 you gotta think
1: <laughs> well i'm gonna get up tomorrow yeah <laughs> uh, I can I can move now. Yeah, but it'll be a little sore in the morning, and I'll moan and growl and yeah. be pissy. But you know,
0: you know, it reminds me of like though just you saying that because for some reason the movie uh, uh, Semi-Tough had a profound effect on me. Yeah, like I remember that movie. I love that movie. Yeah, it's a great movie. But there's that scene where you get up. Yeah. and you're like cracking things you and, know what that is that's huh. north dallas 40 all oh, right north dallas 40 yeah. that's right north yeah. dallas 40, that's right. 40 with mac davis yeah, with yeah Mac davis yeah i love that fucking movie yeah you and, know
1: i wanted sam elliott for that role and
0: for now, the mac davis part
1: yeah yeah i didn't know mac at yeah all. sam uh he, he he uh did a screen
0: test uh-huh
1: Uh, three times yeah you know after the first one i asked if he'd do it again yeah he did it again yeah and the third time he did it again and uh, the director i'd chosen the producer they just kept saying mac davis mac davis and then what i realized is mac was an extremely successful singer yeah singer yeah yeah yeah. yeah. that kind of charisma that kind of go do it yeah
0: attitude yeah
1: was the attitude of the quarterback right you know uh, like fred blitnow cough would tell me that stabler at the bar yeah after the game the offensive linemen are at the bar sitting yeah. getting their drinks the defensive guys are behind them knocking over their drinks bumping into them and all <laughs> that kind of stuff yeah the defensive Backs are up against the wall because they don't want anybody to get behind them. Yeah, flankers are over in the ends in the dark, <laughs> and the quarterback <laughs> comes in about midnight with a blonde, going "Hi guys, hi guys," <laughs> and out the door. Right. So, in that metaphor that Pete Gent told me, that's the way the game was put together. Right. And Tom Keating was playing for the Oakland's. So he came down, and watched us shoot some, and he said. Man, what you guys do is just like football, only except you don't have a halftime, you don't have a quarter, and you don't ever get in the huddle and talk about it. You <laughs> just do
0: this? Yeah, stuff. it just goes on and yeah, on. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Yeah, well, it seemed like Mac Davis was, uh, you know, he's he sort of charming enough to. He did a good oh, job.
1: He did a great
0: job. Ah, uh, you got railroaded in that. Oh, it's Dabney Coleman too? Right? Yeah. Oh, Anthony Coleman. Yeah. All those dudes. Yeah. See, the thing I'll never forget about that movie is you know when they the new guy the clean guy the running back when they shoot him up yeah you know and he decides to take the hit because you guys talk him into it and then he gets nailed and just like disfigured yeah Yeah. that oh you know i'll tell you something uh the producer i picked
1: because you know it was a paramount picture that michael eisner had decided to do it
0: and you had choice over that because you were you were yeah and
1: then i had choice over a paramount producer so that meant Five or six guys that worked at Paramount yeah. that they, they believed in. And five or six, uh, a choice of director and producer. So I knew a story about an old head of Paramount called Frank Blonde's. Yeah. And see, Charlie Bluth owned golf
0: western right he, so he had paramount he was a big guy he was the guy that did Coppola and all those got the godfather oh, yeah he, was,
1: he did all that but he didn't care about movies right he was he, he was, was oil
0: right he was he the guy that acquired paramount for uh for for Gulf western or just the guy that was in charge he of it? was golf he West. was it yeah he was it yeah so w-
1: what charlie's problem was when he played golf on long island yeah was they would say uh that lily and john travolta film is that a Gay film? You know, Charlie would say, <laughs> he's gonna hit his driver. He'd say, I'm not in the movie business. I'm an oil man. You know. Uh-huh. But here's here's how it all played out. When I was gonna okay this film, my agents and manager has told me, You can't do that, you know, because I came back from Mexico of who'll stop the rain, and Anthony Zerby said, that's your next picture. I was reading North 40, Yeah, North House 40. And yeah. I said, you know, you mean I just announce it and do it? And he said, well, you got to get it written and all that. Yeah, that's what you do.
0: Because you were I, reading the book. Yeah, I'm reading the book. Yeah.
1: And I, I could see it's going to make a wonderful film because yeah. this was vulnerable territory. Yeah. So I said, okay. So I came back and I said to my manager, Major, I'm going to do North South. 40. Yeah. They said, well, you can't do that. You just can't decide you want to do something
0: why would that why because you you from the ground up they didn't want you you just wanted you to take another role the whole
1: industry doesn't want you to do anything you want to do (laughs) it doesn't matter what it is no it doesn't matter what it is (laughs) they want you to do what they want to do and what they have thought of doing which could be absolutely wrong yeah you know and the agents want you to do what they want to do because they want to package the whole thing, so right? Sure, right. in their pockets,
0: yeah. it, right? Right. Yeah. So if you, so when you want to do something it throws a wrench into the whole yeah, system, but the whole <laughs> system is about storytelling, yeah. And
1: where are they going to get the stories? Right. Well, it might get them from an actor, might get them from a writer, might right. get them from somewhere yeah. out of life. You know? So
0: you had this book,
1: yeah. So I had the book. So I got a writer friend. We took eight months to write it, and I turned down. Anything that came my way. Uh agents were out, but I had a a sign and a creek that was running and it was out in uh off of Canaan Road by uh Triumphal Canyon and the old place where McQueen used to hang out. Uh but I had a sign that said a nervous M sixteen. Yeah. You know? (laughs) So they would go. We got a job for you there, you know. know, Give you $2 million. Can't hear you. Can't hear you. (laughs) Writing. Yeah. So after eight months, we had just finished the script. Eisner (laughs) called me the next day. He called me and said, what's this about North Dallas? I said, Mike, we just finished the script. I can bring it in right now and pitch it to you. He said, do that. So I went in, drove in from McGord. I pitched it to him. He says... Look, I'll read it tonight. I'll call you at twelve noon, so be around your phone. Yeah, before cell phone. Right. Okay? So I'm there at noon. Right at noon, he calls and he said, "All right, North South Forty is a go picture, Paramount. But you've got to take a Paramount point of producer, and a Paramount point of director." And I said, "Choices amongst that? Oh yeah, five or six I said, "Fine." Yeah. The, uh, my, my manager. I said, Hello, Mimi. North dallas, 40s, go yeah. <laughs> said, north dallas 40s you go picture paramount you're fired called <laughs> up my agent i said north dallas 40s you go picture paramount you're fired and that was that now so how'd that movie do oh real well right real well yeah yeah it became kind of a uh cult classic and, yeah and and a, and a lot of people saw it so yeah it, it made its money and that's played. great yeah, and Frank was the right producer. Here's the story. reason I chose Frank yeah. is because when Frank was the head of Paramount, yeah. he thought he owned the studio. <laughs> when Charlie came in, they got in an argument. Frank tried to throw Charlie out of the window, two-story window. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> Charlie fired him. <laughs> that was that. Yeah. <laughs> so I thought, Jesus, anybody that's going to run a football team or not be the coach but right. run the deal yeah it's got to be frank
0: that type that tough yeah, yeah that tenacity and he did he was the oh guy? he was he was wow man it seemed like it was a lot more exciting a business back uh, then
1: oh it, it always <laughs> is it's still going on yeah oh know? yeah
0: it's still crazy yeah yeah, yeah. it's
1: still crazy
0: but you're like you 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 were you're a football guy, am I right? Yeah, right? yeah, yeah. I, I mean, you grew up playing football.
1: Yeah, I played it. I wanted to play it until
0: you could play anymore. Yeah, you
1: know, and I just wasn't quite fast enough
0: right you didn't yeah. have that you weren't have. you weren't born football player
1: yeah, well i was yeah but not
0: not fast, fast in, in iowa a
1: football player <laughs> <You> know, <laughs>
0: just, is that where is that where if grew the, you were tested oh in iowa yeah i grew up in iowa oh my god so we were wrestlers
1: and yeah. we were football players and my father was six foot six and yeah he played football at iowa state he even played uh pro ball in chicago really yeah because my mom said, that whole family—they come from a professor side. My grandfather King was a professor. Your I,
0: mom's side? Yeah, yeah, yeah.
1: He he invented the hollow tile silo. Um, what is that? Well, they couldn't get grain to store yeah. corn to store because right. they had holes in bricks. Yeah, but they didn't have a big tile that had been glazed that had a nine inch space in between so that the water wouldn't get into the grain. Oh. And these tiles, that's what did it.
0: The tiled silo. Yeah.
1: Now. I always thought he invented the hollow tile. Yeah. He didn't. There was some other guy from Illinois invented the hollow tile. But then they referenced my grandfather as doing it with the local clay uh-huh. of Iowa. Uh-huh. Iowa sits between the Mississippi and the Missouri. Yeah. So it's black, fertile land.
0: So like, so your whole that was your childhood, Iowa.
1: Iowa. And um, my mother, uh, we used to have to go to Iowa State College. And what did your dad do? Well, my dad he graduated from Iowa State, and then he was uh, engineering for the highway department, and then my mother was over at Marshall Fields in Chicago. Oh yeah, and she was department store. Yeah, yeah. She was going to be a buyer, and she was going out with Frank Capone. <laughs> my father heard about that. He went over to Chicago and yeah. set it straight. And that's when he played pro ball. Over was that
0: Al Capone's brother? Yep. Yeah. She was your mom was dating Frank Capone. Yeah. She Frank was Capone. on her way to being a a, a mob mall No,
1: Frank was He's totally straight, straight moral. <laughs> you know. The good Capone. Good Capone. Guy, good Capone. <laughs> you know, and, uh, it, just because the name.
0: Yeah, yeah. Know. Sure. Sure. can enable me. You know what I mean?
1: Yeah, my dad, you know, they they had dated all during college and and, you know, he he was in Iowa, she was in Chicago, and he just felt he wanted to nail the situation sure, down. Sure, yeah.
0: Yeah, yeah, otherwise I wouldn't be here. Yeah, yeah. and what, well, you got
1: siblings? I got one sister. Uh-huh. One sister who was a little bit taller than me. Really? Uh, still faster, uh, better athlete, <laughs> would have gone to the Olympics. Really? But there was no women's liberation
0: at uh-huh. the time. What was her sport? Uh, swimming. Yeah?
1: Yeah, and she cut water. She didn't look like she tried, and she just moved through water. I never saw her lose a race, yeah. ever. And we went to all the swimming meets in the Midwest because Jack McGuire, a family friend, yeah. he was a redheaded Irishman, six yeah. foot five. Right. So when you got my dad and Jack together. Yeah and they had had a few it it was it was a go (laughs) it was pretty scary big giants you know uh jack was a head swimming (laughs) coach he actually wanted me and nancy to stay in iowa and and he would
0: swim you were a swimmer too yeah so your plan was to be an athlete yeah, yeah. That got was the my, plan.
1: Yeah, it was, only had, I'm a real simple guy. One plan all the way through, you know. <laughs> and if I don't get resistance and I got a lot of resistance because of pranks.
0: Yeah. You know. Because of what? Pranks. You oh you got in trouble? Oh,
1: a lot of it. Uh, starting with the midget. Bud Wilkinson football camp in Minnesota.
0: Yeah, what happened? Uh,
1: well, the second year, Chuck Freeman, who was from Westside, I was from the Benson Side, We're up there, and we're a week early. Yeah, The Oklahoma kids haven't showed up. See, it's right. primarily for Oklahoma, yeah. right? Yeah, it's for the but, camp. Yeah, yeah, Bud Wilkinson camp. So uh, what can we do that isn't going to harm anybody, yeah. but it would be a good prank. Yeah. So we... Uh, defecated yeah. in a bag, yeah. you know, flattened it with rocks. So yeah. it was maybe eighth of an inch thick, uh-huh. Uh-huh. and they we had chalets. So the Oklahoma guys were in one chalet. We were in another chalet. The yeah. out of staters yeah. two from Nebraska, two from Iowa, two from Missouri. Two, you know. Yeah and all the coaches were oklahoma coaches right so we laid that down on the spring then a canvas went over that then the mattress went over that mm.
0: since it was no social, way to tell no, way, no to
1: tell. way to see it yeah no way to see it so i forget <laughs> about it we're a weekend and one of the okies says to me we got a smell in our chalet and we can't figure out what it, either a skunk has dying in the wall something happened and i said man you should figure that out we are we are with this weekend we're going to pull out all the beds and everything <laughs> and they found this <laughs> they found the ship bears. yeah yeah and they immediately <laughs> charged me and chuck with it mm-hmm. but chuck was a real cool guy he could just dismissed me. no, no, yeah. no way. Yeah. And I said, no, no. I didn't. <laughs> and one Oklahoma tackle was saying, man, I don't know whether they hit you now or fucking cry. I say, well, I wouldn't hit you. You know, you don't know and, and all that. That night, I was laying in the bunk. Yeah. The lights were out. They turned out the lights. And an assistant coach came in with a flashlight. <laughs> he sat down by my bunk. You know, yeah. we're, we're kids, right. you know. And he said, Nolte, I know you did this. You will never play football again for the rest of your life. Oh my God. I'll make sure of that.
0: <laughs> for that? Yeah, left me in
1: tears, you know. Oh, for that? Yeah, and I think that followed me. <laughs> because we're in the 1950s (laughs) yeah
0: and you know it was a curse or he he actually went he held on to that and spread the word
1: yes exactly right i think that word just went on and on because on my senior year of high school the coach holds a vote whether i should be on the team or not now the players didn't want to vote
0: yeah you know yeah you
1: know Uh, so my father I think had a conversation with the coach. Yeah. And unbeknownst to me, I got up the next day to find out what was going My mom said, Where are you going? I said, I'm going to find out what this is all about. She said, Well, you can, but we're moving today. I <laughs> said, We're moving. Where? I said, Westside, you'll be ineligible for two games, but you'll have the rest of the season. And I said, What? Well, do we have a house? She yeah we bought a house well we don't have the money to do that i know but we're not getting out of here
0: yeah so you can play ball so i can play ball oh that's some good parents
1: yeah real good parents
0: oh that's sweet good parents. and you did yeah, and i did so when did you uh when did you decide to you came out here for college initially because uh, i read that you know yeah i was reading bits and pieces of the book. it's nicely written did yeah. you enjoy writing it yeah, but you know that was a five-year process of five, writing that book. Five writers. Oh yeah, um, that you worked with. Yeah,
1: that I worked with. Yeah, and they would get so far and and far and finally Denise Hardy, the ghostwriter, she was able to really pin it down. and yeah. start to get it.
0: It's good but, opening, you know. It, yeah, you, you know when you're in it, like I because I had a situation when I come out here the first time I came in L.A. It was like in the late eighties, and I left because I got fucked up. Yes, and like you know, like I just like you, you come out here, in nineteen sixty-two, yeah. and like I talked to one other cat who got fucked up, and his dad had to come get him. And that guy was James Taylor, and that was in New York because uh, James got strung out, well, and sure. the old man kind of yeah. took had take yeah. him back down south and get yeah. him cleaned up. Yeah, and that's what happened to you. You came out here. You were where out right out here in Pasadena. Yeah,
1: right out here in Pasadena. I had rented a room. My folks oddly enough at a house in Hollywood why is that well because when I I you know these were really unique parents I think my dad was able to transfer to Hollywood because he was an engineer of large irrigation pumps moving water yeah what is not known about LA is LA is a swampland so Laurel Canyon Coldwater Canyon Benedict Canyon. yeah those are rivers. So it's all underground from Mulholland down. Now, as an iron worker, I built those tunnels, but I didn't put it together that there's an underground city under there yeah. until 10 years later when I come back and I'm looking for a place to smoke some weed at at sunset yeah. and look over the valley in L.A. and just relax. Yeah. And I find this fenced-in culvert hole about five feet around yeah heading downhill yeah and i remembered that at a certain point going up benedict canyon we reduced it down to the round culverts yeah that we didn't have to put any iron in so we were off the job and so we went down it that night uh but it was too scary yeah it was totally pitch black and you could hear like it sounds like waterfalls and stuff so rocky and i got out of that we went over to the house that i was staying in in uh off Gower and we built a cart yeah to go down that tunnel yeah so we put wheels on it and we had it food packed and all that and we hoisted over the chain link fence and we got it going down but we didn't engineer it right it would go up the side yeah. And crash, yeah. <laughs> slide for 100 feet, yeah. Yeah. up the side, slide for 100 feet. When it gets down to sunset, it opened into 40 feet wide, 40 feet tall, and 40 feet across of really? the road. The only way you can get out is there's about, oh, at about your up to here, yeah. your neck, yeah. your neck, there are side shoots that are nice and round, you can shimmy up those and then you're in a Beverly Hills gutter, which is four by eight feet. and huh. there's nothing in there yeah because it's a water drainage system. Right. And <laughs> no, you know there was maybe an inch wide trickle of water going down. Sure now when it rains, I'm sure they turn into rivers. yeah because LA, Hollywood was highland. Beverly Hills was a little bit high, yeah. but any of the lowlands, like LA base, that was wetlands. Huh. that was all swampy.
0: No kidding. Yeah, a long and time ago. Long time ago. So, so yeah. you were putting that stuff. So your dad knew about that stuff.
1: Well, yeah, he was out here talking to him about pumps yeah. because eventually, what they did is. Those those tunnels yeah. that run the water underground—they left one river open, yeah. LA
0: River. Right and now, yeah, it comes out over the, here. I,
1: I know, and I watched it as we were coming in. I yeah. forgot that that was there. Yeah, because that's the way it is underground. It's yeah, what it, look, it its shaped like this. Underground is flat.
0: So you built—you were part of the—you were working the steelworking, you were a steel yeah. worker building those things up. Yeah, yeah I was. A when ste- you first came out here, when I
1: first came out here, I played a season at pch jim nelson said the iron workers hiring we can get in on this they're still building the storm drains i didn't know what that meant
0: were you, you getting get the union
1: we got in the union so yeah. in the iron workers union we worked all that summer he said look we'll make so much money we'll just draw unemployment for the rest of the year yeah <laughs> you know? yeah hang out in barney's beanery yeah uh, you know and maybe get ready to play football i said i don't know i'm like he said he wasn't going to play so football. your
0: dad when did your dad come out here
1: well my 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 parents lived here you know originally that for that first season right they lived here but then my dad was transferred to phoenix so i but i stayed on here because what happened is i played at pasadena yeah i had already played at eastern arizona junior college so i was going to be ineligible eligible junior college ball. Yeah. but the idea was to play maybe four or five years of junior college ball, yeah, different places around the country, yeah, because they didn't keep track, right? You know, so you could play college ball eight years, you know, be twenty nine, <laughs> something like that. That was be the plan. Fully matured, really, you know, and yeah. then you'd know whether you're any good. You could do
0: it. Yeah. So, so that was the plan: was to just keep jumping to junior colleges yeah, to get to, yeah, yeah, get your chops together for the ball, never for the big to, game. Yeah, I never went to school, so. When you started working for the for the in the Iron Union, yeah, you that was a, you didn't have any plans to be an actor. No, 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 no. And no, you right. just you just wanted to hang out here. Your parents had gone back to where Arizona, yeah, Arizona,
1: and the plan was to do the iron work and then either and then party. for another season of PCH, right. Which I had to avoid them playing Phoenix, so I wouldn't get on the bus. I would get caught. Yeah, get yeah. caught. Or find another junior college far enough away yeah. so they didn't enter in
0: a coordinate. So, how does it so? So, but you get caught up. I mean, what year is that? It's like, 1962. So, it's not too crazy yet. No. Right? What are you just drinking then? Just drinking and taking a pill, which were probably singing all. Yeah, yeah. Barbiturates. So, you loopy. Loopy, yeah, yeah. What was this habit you had of slamming your head into things?
1: Well, you know, it's a way it's the only way that i could find to say i was in a crisis you know so yeah i, I was used to physical uh, self-destruction uh-huh. you know um, of dr- yourself yeah because yeah. drinking wouldn't get to it if yeah. i was going to change yeah change comes from the inside right and it's not fun yeah it's big yeah and you're, you're not going to do it. right? Oh, yeah, I'll change. Yeah. No, that's not going to get it. Change is a real movement. Yeah, And that was happening to me, and I didn't know how to express it. I mean, uh-huh. it, meant, it meant that who I thought I was had to go away, had uh-huh.
0: to crumble. Oh, right. And so... So this was happening uh, towards... Like, uh, like after, like in the book, you, you know, I read that you, know, you had that one of those horrible uh, sort of uh, uh, situations where you get spotted and you get swept up, <laughs> and you know you think you're about to get your big break, and you realize, uh, no, no, no I'm about to get, a, um, about to get in an awkward situation <laughs> yeah, with a man in a bathrobe. Yeah, yeah. there were plenty of men with bathrobes back then too. Oh yes, yeah, there were. Oh yes. Yeah, so, way. so was that like because in the in the beginning of the book, you sort of lead up to that you're hanging out with the with the with the women you're going to barney's you're drinking you're 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 beating yourself up pretty bad but then you get you get sort of pulled in by this big agent yeah yep. and and you know you go over to his house have dinner he have dinner and you think this is it yeah and then he comes out
1: in his put his bathrobe <laughs> yeah. and he said to me walks over and he says i'm a widow cuddle buddy <laughs> And i I just don't have an answer for that i I don't think that's in the book, but that's what he
0: I'm said. a little cuddle bunny I'm a little cuddle bunny
1: <laughs> 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 and you said, knew
0: you weren't in show uh, business, huh?
1: I went to that front door and yeah. my
0: And he was a real guy, right? Oh, real guy. Did real you guy. ever come in contact with him no, again later? I never
1: did because he, he was quite a bit older. Uh-huh. So you know, I leave L.A. and, and then that's ten years.
0: 10, 15 years but when you were talking about this change that was happening yeah. to you that you, you know what you know what how do you how do you explain that so you're saying that everything that led you to where you were you know playing football you know you, your whole plan for life the simplicity of, of who you thought you were was starting to buckle yeah
1: okay so that 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 becomes obvious not to me but to say Brian O'Byrne. Your friend. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, up the hill, the yeah. acting teacher. Oh. He sees that. He sees.
0: Were you taking acting lessons at the time? Well,
1: Tom Connolly yeah. was over here at the Pasadena Playhouse. Right. Chuck Freeman was over here at the Pasadena yeah. Playhouse. And I was playing football at Pasadena. Yeah. So Connolly was from Wichita, Kansas. And he was up for Peyton Place, the younger brother of Peyton Place. Yeah. He was a really kind of neat guy. And he said. Why don't you come and see a play a minute? I go to your games. Yeah. And so I did. I, I watched the play. It was interesting. I didn't think much about it. He said, uh, listen, I have to go. I have a private teacher over in Hollywood, Brian O'Byrne. Yeah. Do you want to go with me and see that? And I said, sure, I'll go with you. Yeah. And so I went there, and Brian lived up at the very top of Laurel Canyon. This is before I was really living in Laurel. And uh Brian said, "No, you can't be here uh, unless you participate. You'll have to read." Yeah, Uh, and I said, "Well, I don't know. I don't know if I can read. (laughs) (laughs) Yeah, (laughs) I "I haven't really read a book in years. Yeah, (laughs) you know." But he gave me a section to read, and uh, and so after Tom had done his work, Brian, I went in and read. I read this piece. Yeah, and he got real excited about it and said, you don't know it, but you're an actor. And I said, well, how do I find out? He said, well, I don't know, you'll have to find that out. <laughs> so up to you. there were hints, yeah. there were hints, but I did not, Determined yet to go that way. Right. Because I still was this thing.
0: You were and, working and doing iron work. Yeah,
1: right. And
0: yeah. Playing, playing football.
1: And just goofing with all these poets and musicians. And
0: So and, that was sort of mind blowing to you.
1: Oh, yeah, man. You know, John <laughs> Altoon, yeah. an Armenian painter. And they can't really talk, but <laughs> he can.
0: <laughs> yeah.
1: And it's informative because if you've ever seen life lessons. Yeah. It's John painting, you know.
0: What in the New York stories? Yeah, I love that one, man.
1: Yeah, it's
0: a great one. I love that you're working that. Like, I there's a scene. There's that moment, man. <laughs> there's a moment where you're sitting at the table with that kid yeah. who just climbs out of bed with your chick, <laughs> and he and he, and, he and I just bodied him. You bodied him, <laughs> and, he, and he and he. You say, "What do you What do you do?" Because I'm a graffiti artist, and he <laughs> said, "I'm a painter." <laughs> You know, it's,
1: I, I I like hanging around with painters, sculptors too, but painters really, they're really physical people.
0: I'm dating a painter. Yeah, yeah.
1: It's, it's physical. Yeah, it's, they get it, in it. It's not. Oh no, no yeah, no, no, yeah. You know, and so I knew. Uh, see when that was set up, uh, Scorsese didn't pick me. I think it was Jeffrey Katzenberg yeah. said, we're going to do this trilogy of three pieces. Yeah, And uh, he said, you're actually Nick Nolte. So Marty was fine with that. But Marty, in the script that Richard Price wrote, he didn't want to make a choice of who was a painter. He, there was de Kooning. Yeah. There was uh, a, Schnabel. Yeah. Great. Uh, right? yeah. I went around to all those studios and looked at it. And yeah. When I went to Schnabel's, it's kind of a, a joke I tell. Schnabel had a big uh, scope thing outside and as you came in if you bumped into it it went (laughs) and then you'd walk into this big studio and on ladders on a 20 foot by 20 foot painting yeah. were three students that were painting in red yeah and i said what'd the master say think red today <laughs> <laughs> he said yeah that's what he said <laughs> you know now they're just laying the background right right, right. you know but i you know and then i went up to his accounting department right in that studio <laughs> and so i made fun of that but snobble's a great painter I, yeah truly respect him but he thought he thought i wasn't giving him his due and i i, I do give him his due he's a great painter yeah well he he, he,
0: he, he, he didn't he had his moment and then he, he kind of evolved out of it
1: yeah yeah because he jumped oh. into
0: film yeah and i it, hear a lot of the plates are falling off of those canvases <laughs> <laughs> that's what i heard yeah so, well to, the tuning was
1: interesting too
0: he he had an easel. He's older, old school, yeah. abstract. Right. Yeah.
1: He had his painting on an easel. Yeah. And he I'm sitting there and he says, What do you think? I said, Well it looks great. Yeah. He says, he hits a button, it turns one degree. <laughs> what do you think now? it <laughs> oh, was <well, that's> interesting. <laughs> it's another button, flips entirely over. Yeah. He said, This is the way I like
0: it. <laughs> Upside down.
1: So, so, you know.
0: Yeah. So, so those are the guys you went to study.
1: Yeah, that's right. That's Who right.
0: did the painting for the film itself? Uh, Chuck Connolly. Uh-huh. It was one of his. Uh-huh. Yeah. And it's uh, it's a bridge,
1: but people are falling off the bridge. It's really, life is really-
0: It's huge dirty. canvas.
1: Oh, yeah. Oh, yeah.
0: I really like that. Like, I can I can barely remember the other two films. It was Woody Allen and a Coppola yeah. one, right? Yeah. That yeah. one that you did with Scorsese really stood out. Yeah. And that was the first time you worked with him? The first time I worked with him, and I I think it's
1: some of Marty's best work, he won't recognize it because of the reviews that Uh they just lambasted, tried to compare the films. Yeah. And so America will never, ever again do a trilogy like that yeah it
0: was a weird thing i remember yeah. i was excited about it but i thought that i thought that francis's was kind of trite yeah and silly and woody's was like ridiculous yeah and that that like it seemed like the one that really did something and yeah was, was yours There was roseanne yeah. our cat in there yeah. right
1: yeah and the guy is using her as uh, I would look at scorsese and i'd look at Coppola. they all had pretty young women assistants <laughs> yeah and, they're not doing anything with them. Sure. But they think about it, it's yeah. inspiration,
0: it's uh-huh, energy. Uh-huh.
1: That's what the painter's got. She's trapped.
0: Right. And, but, oh, and there's that scene where, like, you know, you see, yeah, you're, you're working, and then you see her painting because she's a painter. Yes. And it's just so so small and sad. And so yeah. it was, it, I thought it was pretty deep, man. I thought it yeah. was pretty deep. So like, going back, so like, you, all right? so you, you hit the wall here, and your dad comes and gets you because yeah. you're losing your mind, and yeah. your buddy calls your dad and said he's losing his mind. Yep. Yeah. Yeah, yeah. And that wasn't drug related, that was just a, a Oh up- there he- was everything was related. I mean there was drugs, there was uh,
1: booze, there yeah. was behavior, there was staying up all night, there was yeah. uh, excitement.
0: you just yeah. unbridled to I'm just uh, uh,
1: totally out there.
0: So you come in. And, and it's not the st- the
1: free sixties yet. Yeah. You know. Right. You know.
0: Yeah, you 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 were you're getting you were ahead of the curve. Yeah.
1: I, I'm ahead <laughs> of the curve and I'm not anywhere near in the
0: ballpark, <laughs> you know. So So you go back to Arizona? I go back to Arizona
1: and luckily I got parents that don't say, Oh, this is a troubling thing for yeah. a young man to be But this is what happens to young guys. They gotta go through some kind of Break. Yeah, uh, maybe. You
0: don't know, I did. Yeah, Michael, psychotic break.
1: Yeah, Michael Moriarity. Yeah, he broke,
0: uh-huh. and his
1: parents sent him to electric shock treatment.
0: Really? Yeah. The actor?
1: Yeah, yeah. And Michael tells me that story. He's told that story, so I don't. From I'll,
0: Bang the Drum Slowly? Yeah, that guy? Yeah, brilliant actor.
1: You know, Michael was at the Guthrie when I was at the Old Long Theater.
0: The Guthrie in Minneapolis? Yeah, in
1: Minneapolis. Yeah. And the Old Long Theater was a stock equity company. We'd do Two Dozen Red Roses and yeah. Girl in My Soup and that kind of stuff. The Guthrie was doing Shakespeare and all Raph. that stuff. You had Mojarty. Ron Glass was there.
0: Yeah, uh, who was a black actor? Sure, but he did comedy. He was in Barney. Barney. He, yeah. uh, Barney Miller. Yeah. Yeah. Yeah, yeah. And Ron still had
1: street dialect going yeah. on. So the Shakespeare Moliere decided that Shakespeare should be delivered slowly. So it was something like uh, there, out there. Thy, yeah, own self not recognized. Oh yeah, man, I know which time. <laughs> <laughs> it was similar rhythms, you're right? Like right. So he did. It, it. was funny. Yeah. Sometimes yeah. very affecting, but you know, it yeah. was it was
0: crazy. Oh, that's wild. It was crazy. So you so you go you you went back to Phoenix, and your your parents were like they they weren't thrilled, but they're going to support you anyways. Yeah, they're going to give me a room
1: got to yeah. give me room, and, and I got start, my yeah. grandma down here is, who's my mom calls charmingly vague, yeah. she's demented,
0: yeah, you know, charmingly so, vague, yeah, yeah.
1: She's heading to the memorial unit every morning to open the memorial unit out state college for the students, yeah, but she's in Phoenix, you know, she doesn't know her husband's dead, yeah, uh, but she's. She's pleasant, you yeah. know. She'll She's living of, at
0: the house with you? Yeah, yeah,
1: living at the house because my mother was in a battle with her sister, Harriet, who yeah. was nine years older and right. was a professor at the University of Oregon. Uh-huh. And so when my mother called her and said, our mother is in bad shape, uh, Harriet said, put her in a home. Right. Uh, my mother said, oh, you selfish son of a... Yeah, yeah. And they fought all their
0: life yeah
1: i mean it was a ridiculous so, the,
0: so you're there with your parents and your grandmother who's losing it yeah and and what did you start were you well, getting into trouble or what were you doing no i
1: the best advice i had was i gotta put myself in a room and face everything that's gonna come at me because it was obvious i was running from everything yeah uh fear was a big thing uh fear used to um uh, generalized fear would come under the door as smoke, yeah, and then as it would come on me, it would start to envelop my heart. Would be going bu, 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 and the anxiety would come, and then I'd have to shut it off, huh? You know, and
0: with be- booze or something.
1: T- yeah, it took me a while, yeah, before I could let it go ahead and envelop me, huh? And when it did, there was nothing there, huh? It was just fear went...
0: So you got through it, just your brain. And went by. Yeah.
1: Yeah. So if you're running from your own fears, you won't feel them. You only feel them up to a point. Yeah. Then you got no expression for fear because the expression of fear is aggression. Yeah. So you got to find a way to aggressively be proper running into cars is not primer i couldn't hit other people because i just don't do that i i don't do that so, i could do it in football
0: so you mean this is when you hit yourself yeah yeah that's and that's myself. why football worked for you
1: yeah that's why football worked for me because <laughs> i hit the other guy yeah i used to cry when i played games <laughs> I, I, there was a kid from Omaha when i went back 50th high school year. yeah he from boystown he had he had married somebody from west side and he said i remember you in midget football i played across from you you were crying all the time i thought jesus cat maybe his dad died or his mother died (laughs) why were you crying all the time i said I cried because I was so passionate to get my hands on the fucking guy that had the ball. I wanted to rip him apart and smash him into the ground. (laughs) And that's why I cried. He looked at me like, you nuts man. <laughs> you know, <it's> a game. <laughs> but that's the kind of passion
0: I sure have. and now so you're able to channel that a little bit yeah so so where did you end up what did what, you get busted for uh, selling uh, seven counts of
1: selling counterfeit government documents
0: what were the documents draft cards so you're selling uh, draft cards to get guys out of the war well really i'm selling
1: draft cards a birth registration card draft card yeah. and a um driver's license
0: and this is what 65 oh it's early 60s oh.
1: there isn't a problem with this until vietnam starts to heat up and it's before i don't know anything about the war yeah my mom uh I went up on the state charges, and they kind of held those until they saw what the federal court was doing.
0: So you were just doing it for money?
1: I was doing it for money. Yeah. Yeah, Doing it for money. I didn't know anything about the war or anything, but the Federals, they kept it going for maybe a year and a half, two years, and my mother got spooked. So all of a sudden, I'm in a car, and we go to Uncle Cole's farm in Redfield, Iowa. And she's running away, mm. and Cole, who always carries a half pint, says, "Dot, you can't run away from this. Where are you guys going to run?" And I didn't know what she was doing. Yeah. I did, it was Cole that yeah. said, "She's trying to run away from trouble, and you're the trouble." You know? <laughs> yeah, yeah. So we went back and faced the music, and uh, I, I, I pled Nola contender. You know, yeah. I, I did it. I didn't really know what I was doing and they he said that'll be $75,000 fine and 45 years in jail and then he said I'll suspend that and put you under the Youth Correction Act you'll be in probation for the duration of the Vietnam War yeah 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 yeah
0: you
1: know I didn't show it Uh, and he said and then this will be off your record it will not be a felony anymore nobody will be able to read it, it uh, and what i found out was it never goes away there's just a page on top of your record that says do not read
0: right aspects. sure sure
1: yeah well they pick it up read it sure so the first year i'm here and get hot as an actor you know i'm doing television shows and all that getting ready to do rich man poor man and uh, the inquirer says, we know you're a felon and we're going to ruin your career unless you give us an interview once a week.
0: The inquirer. Before, yeah, yeah, the
1: inquirer. So my manager calls and goes, oh, my God, you ruined that. You didn't tell me you were a felon. Well, I'm not a felon. Eh? <laughs> <laughs> said, I'll talk to you later. Then you know? my agent calls you're telling, oh my God, this is really a problem. You know, how do we do? You, you're going to have to do these <laughs> interviews, and let me tell you, later. I said, Jesus Christ, it's not a big deal. You know, it's not really there. I, I just got to go out there and speak it. Yeah. So I knew Rona Barrett. I talked to her a few times. Sure. She had a television show. Sure. I called her and I said, Rona, I got to come on your show. I got something to say. It's really big news. And can I, I got to do it soon. She said, well, you can come on this weekend. And I said, well, um, this is Monday, what, Wednesday, Yeah, come here Wednesday, be here at 10 o'clock.
0: On the Ronan Barrett Hollywood Gossip Show. Yeah. yeah. Yep.
1: So, I went on Rona's show and she said, Nick, uh, you called me and said you want to come on.' I said, yeah. W- what I've got to tell you, Rona, is I made some, some mistakes when I was young. younger. I sold draft, counterfeit government documents, draft cards and driver's license birth registration card. Yeah. It didn't have anything to do with the war. I said, it, it, they gave me a $75,000 fine and 45 years in jail, Yeah, suspended it, and put me under the Youth Correction Act. And she said, well, then are you a felon? I said, no, I'm under the Youth Correction Act. She said, oh, well, that's a, what do you think about marijuana? I said, the plant? Well, you know, the plant grows in Iowa. There's fields and fields of it. it they use it as strings for manila rope. Oh, the Navy uses that. That's how we have rope, you know,
0: rope. <laughs> yeah.
1: She didn't have an answer for all that, and I <laughs> danced and diddled off her show. so Did she it help? Oh, yeah. There was no liability anymore. The choir oh, dropped it. Yeah,
0: well, you know. that's good. So that and that was at the beginning of your career. So yeah. So like outside of that, so you go back and you do this regional theater for a decade. Yeah. And do you train? Do you train uh, as an actor other than just doing the theater? I sit in that room for a year.
1: Brian loaded me up with Stanislavski with every acting book you can imagine. This
0: is uh, your room in in Arizona. In Arizona. Brian Brian's the guy from here. Yeah, he's
1: the coach in Hollywood.
0: Brian, what's his last name? O'Byrne. Okay.
1: He 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 left Hollywood maybe thirty years ago, mm. and he died up in San Francisco. He he acted and all that, but he coached many many
0: many. Yeah. So you're so you're, you're confronting fear in a room in Arizona. and He's sending and you books.
1: I'm reading all the foundation of acting, you know, and I'm finding this stuff wide open to me because the only thing that's working with me is imagination, emotions, and I have to face them, I have to feel them, where do they come from, how do you evoke them, where can you get to fear, can you get to sadness, can you get to pain, can you get to this, and so I'm learning where it all originates and what's real, what's not that process and then when i finally the day i got out of that bed and i walked down to the phoenix little theater i ran into a director named kit carson and i told him my story and what i was doing and he said well you just gotta start doing important plays you can start by being in hasty heart and i said okay what role would i play play digger here's the screen here's the play and so that started it out and and he's directing you he directed it i did eight plays in that playhouse and then kit said you gotta go to Summerstock now so i applied different places and i applied the little theater the rockies and they hired me as juvenile lead and paid me how old were you? Uh, I was probably around 23, 24, now.
0: Huh? Yeah. And that, so you kind of paid your dues that way. Y-
1: yeah. Yeah. But you see, I didn't pay dues. I loved it.
0: Yeah. So, but so because of your state, you know, then the rebuilding of your mind and the opening of your mind, you're able to like just completely lock into all this. Shit. All. Of it's it. your thing. All of it. You feel yes. it.
1: The other guy was made up. Yeah. So I see that process how do you make up a personality that
0: made up by who by you by society by society, me, by, by, society
1: by all the expectations around. yeah and getting a yes or a hurrah or recognition or yeah. whatever it is yeah we're structured in that way right and if we be, buy into it
0: you become that sure you know sure so you so got I, out
1: i i saw it how how you build it yeah and you know and
0: then and then you come back here and you 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 know after being away 10 years and you land some tv
1: well here's the thing yeah i come back
0: here in a william Inge play Inge sees me
1: do the last pad over in phoenix that sally goldwater had financed yeah and it's being done by a director named keith anderson who was a quaker he was a child prodigy and he went to the University of Chicago at sixteen. Yeah. He gets married at seventeen mm-hmm. and the mother in law and the wife kick him out. He can't handle it. He stabs the mother in law forty seven times. He just stabbed her in the same hole. Yeah. You know. And she does he she doesn't die. He's in the Illinois penitentiary when his family had been pacifists since World War One, yeah. World War Two. Uh, every war. And I I know the Quaker family. He finally gets out of prison. In prison, he gets the rights to the William Inch play. He calls me and said, will you put this play together with me? And I said, yeah, I'll meet you. I'll come. I'll rap here and I'll come down to Phoenix.
0: And this production that you did led to what? It led
1: to Bill Hinge being so excited about it. He said, I want this play to go to LA. I will find you guys a theater to put it in. I will not ever go back to New York. And so Bill Inge play opened at this, a Contempo Furniture Store in Westwood yeah. which was right across from UCLA yeah. it is now the Westwood Playhouse uh-huh. I couldn't get a job in there if I tried but we <laughs> opened it in there and it was just a furniture store in front and it had a theater in the back an old Presidium. but this play we did was in the round and I had learned a trick I had learned it from a kid but I, I could do this the play opened with this kid whining and moaning and, and, and you know in yeah. pain yeah and i would take a can of vegetable soup uh-huh and i'd swallow it about three four minutes before we opened yeah and i would hold it in the upper stomach and i could do maybe two three minutes before i projectile threw up yeah in the toilet and that chip went everywhere, and that horrified the audience, <laughs> and they got into it as a real
0: deal. <laughs> Good trick, yeah. So after that, did who did people see you, and then they start booking you on TV or what? All right, yeah. That play ran
1: for a year. Okay, a year a in year. the furniture store.
0: Yeah, in the furniture 70, store. What, 1970 What year? Um, I'm not sure. Fiona? Yeah, yeah. I have to look. It doesn't matter.
1: Yeah. Uh, so. During that time, you know, Elizabeth Taylor came down. uh, You know, it was just huge people. Uh, Casting directors came down, all that kind of stuff. Uh, Brian O'Byrne brought... Manager now. Because the oh, buzz. There was a buzz. Uh, oh, real big buzz. Did Marlon come see you? No, Marlon never saw it. Yeah. No, Marlon, you know, Marlon didn't see movies or.
0: He didn't do anything? But, no, no. Did you ever meet him? Oh, yeah. Yeah. Yeah.
1: <laughs> I, I, the last 10 years of his life, Sean introduced me after Thin Red Line. Penn did, yeah Yeah. Penn was having dinner with Marlon. Now, Woody and I pulled a prank on Sean on Thin Red Line. Sean yeah, yeah, yeah. So Sean called me when we were back here and said, "Marlon wants to meet you. I'm having dinner with him, and it's going to be up in Beverly Hills, up Beverly Glen Boulevard." Yeah. So I was driving in with my English assistant, Matt Tromans, who's really a smart guy, and I said, "Matt, I got a feeling this is Sean's he got me right in the spot where he could be really pull a big one." I don't want to go.
0: And You it. thought he was fucking with you?
1: Yeah. I thought he was going to. Yeah. Because yes. Sean was upset about what Woody and I did.
0: Oh. Uh, what would you do?
1: Well, what uh, I got down on thin red line about halfway through. Woody calls me. He said, Nick, I know you don't know me well, but you're the only one that can do this because you haven't been here and Sean totally trusts you. and." He didn't see me talk to you tonight, yeah. so I'm calling him by phone. I need you to help me get Sean in a certain position so I can pull the skeg. And I said, well, do you have any idea what it is? And I said, not yet. And I said, I don't want to hurt him. He said, no, 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 we won't hurt him. We yeah. won't hurt him. So he said, but uh, just tell Sean you want to meet him Saturday night, say seven o'clock because you got something to talk about with him and uh, and just you know, don't say anything, just say you gotta yeah. meet with him. Yeah. And I, I, I did, the next day I I called Sean, I said, hey, I got something to talk with you, but I can't right now, because I got all wardrobe and all that, how about Saturday about seven o'clock, you know, it's our day off. He said, yeah, yeah, I'll meet you. I, I'll just, I'll come over <laughs> in that main town and be in bar, you yeah. know, and we'll talk. And he said, good, good sean's father was dying of cancer he thought maybe it was some health all yeah. you know i don't know what he thought but anyway so woody calls me about six you know and he said "Uh, why don't you head down now because we're going to call him early and he said listen i'm down here at the police station you know where it is i said yeah is it the white house at the end of the street just in that park there? Yeah, it's a, just a little three-bedroom house. That's a police station. The only three policemen. Come on down uh, right away, because you were in a wreck. and a Well, come on down, I'll yeah. tell you. All right, so I got down there. Two of the policemen were in uniform. The third one was in a T-shirt with tattoos. He, he looked like an Australian you know, yeah, tough wild guy. guy, yeah, wild guy. He said, All right, here's what happened you were in a wreck with this guy, and the roundy round, and uh. Since you're a foreigner, they're going to have to do a blood test on you, see if you're drinking. But they have a warrant for this guy's arrest. They're glad they got him, so he'll be in handcuffs. And then when Sean comes down, he has to identify you. That yeah, you're American, working on the film, and all that. And then the doctor will come, and it'll be a fake blood test and all that. But somewhere in there, this guy will have to go to the bathroom, and the other officer will walk down with him and you and Sean will be sitting here now I don't know do I leave the gun in and I said Woody if you don't do the gun Sean's not gonna react you know the gun makes Sean react
0: what are you gonna do with the gun
1: Well, they're gonna shoot it so so Woody turns to him and said okay the blanks are in so when you go down to the bathroom when he goes down to the bathroom there'll be a commotion you know, and then...
0: This is like a theatrical production. Boom, boom, boom. Yeah, yeah. And the
1: other cop will run down there and maybe boom. And then we'll see what Sean does. And knowing Sean, he's going to run right down there too. Yeah. You know, <laughs> yeah. he's going to... Get that's, in it. That's Sean gets in it. Yeah. So... I said he said uh, he got it, and I said yeah, yeah, okay. And in the in their office, they had ripped out the rooms, so there was a picnic table, a desk, the back door, two big windows on the sides. Yeah, okay. So I called Sean. Hey Sean, I was heading downtown. I was gonna have a few drinks, and then. To talk to you, but I got in a wreck and around roundy around. I'm down here to police station, and they need somebody to vouch that I am. Who I am. And he, he said, "Oh, I know where. Did I'll be right there. It's literally two minutes away." Yeah. And so now the cops got nervous. Yeah. They got hacked. Yeah. And they got nervous, and it takes on an ambiance of a real police station. Right. Fear is running around the room.
0: Yeah.
1: And there's knock, knock, knock. Woody goes out the back door, they go down, one goes down the hall. He's talking to Sean all the way up, you know, in the Australian accent. He yeah. sits across from me. Yeah. The cop stands over us, and he's talking. Yeah. In the meantime, this guy says, I got hey, your piss. You know, it's just off the <laughs> yeah, yeah. The other cop walks down there, and the cop is explaining, we don't like to do this stuff because, you know, we know obviously we got the right guy, and we he, sober. And he turned away and looked down the hallway, and Sean said, were you drinking? No, 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 he said. Good, 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 good. Cop turns back, and we hear boom, bang, crash from down. the Cop looks, and we hear boom, one bang. The cop goes rushing down that hallway. Boom, boom, two more. Sean said, "What the fuck's going on?" I said, "I don't know." And he gets up, and he heads right down that hallway. <laughs> and there's one more boom went off, I think, and. The next thing I know, I'm starting to crack, so I went up against the corner of the wall. The cops come in and go spread eagle on the floor. Sean goes spread eagle on the floor, and here's the crazy man with a gun coming in. I'm getting the fuck out of here. I'm getting the fuck out of here. I'm getting out of here. You kid, you gotta drive me out of here. And the cop says, The keys are on the desk. Keys are on the desk. So Sean gets up and he says, Hey, just uh, don't shoot there's it, it, no reason to shoot anybody. but just don't shoot anybody, okay? okay I'll drive you wherever you want to go come on let's get out of here I you get the keys he unlocks that door he opens the door Woody stands there with the camera <laughs> shoots the shot it was it was like Sean goes oh. <laughs> you know and Woody's going I am king I am king And the cops were going, Oh shit I said, I need a beer and they said, Yeah, us too We went to the bar and drank that night.
0: <laughs> and and you thought you he was setting you up on the Marlin meeting?
1: Oh yeah, because see, it, it didn't end there. That just started the war. Two days later, I get a call from Sissy Spacek because Sissy Jack Fisk is her husband. He's a, he's a, the art director, and she said, "Nick, Nick, we have a spoiled sport. Is there anything you can do?" And I said. No, sissy, there's nothing I could do. Because Sean was threatening to tell Customs that Woody travels with weed. And Sean said, if we had been in L.A. or any other place, I would have had my gun with me and somebody would have been dead. And I said, well, mm, (laughs) 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 that's the most elaborate thing I've ever seen or participated
0: in. But did but did you go eat did you have dinner with Marlon? Yeah. Yeah.
1: Yeah. <laughs> yeah. I had dinner with Marlon. Yeah, you know, in the final end. Yeah. I couldn't figure out what the game could be.
0: Yeah. So so you just went? I just went. And it was okay. And
1: Marlon was talking. Yeah. And he didn't allow anybody to interrupt. He had three salads. Because yeah. he was on a diet. Right. You know, he just kept ordering lettuce. Was it, it. Good or was it yeah, good? Yeah, it was great. Great talk. What? And then I went outside for a smoke, and he came out and said something like, uh, he said, you guys, you got to quit that. You're going to die. That smoking.' Okay? And he said, you and Harry Dean, he stopped that.' he said, but I want to ask you, how did you do Q&A? That's my favorite film. How did you do that? I liked everybody in it.
0: Yeah. But how
1: did you play that guy? And I said, Oh, come on, <laughs> you know. I, I, he said, No, I don't. I don't know. I don't know. I want really? to Really? Yeah. He wanted to know. I said, Well, I put on six-inch lifts. I tilted them forward. So if I leaned backwards, I would fall over. So I had to lean forward. So every time. I was in somebody's face and they were looking up and I was looking down and I grew my mustache so you couldn't see where the words were coming from you could just feel the breath coming out and I just made him a rogue you know I made him one of those cops you don't ever want to see and he just wanted to know every little thing.
0: That's wild. That must have felt good, though. Oh, yeah. He's asking you oh, how yeah. you put that pull yeah. roll together? And,
1: you know, and I didn't know he
0: knew my work, you know. Sure. Well,
1: obviously he did.
0: What was the most challenging one that you had to do? For, like, really if you look at the whole arc of them. They're
1: all we're, challenging. You yeah, know, I we're, make them as complex I like, as I can get them. Yeah,
0: you know? yeah, that's that's how you do it. You're yeah. like, you you put these guys together from the ground up. Yeah. Yeah.
1: That's the fun. That's yeah. the great
0: part. I love Down and Out in Beverly Hills. That was oh, a great fun movie. That was Paul
1: Mazursky. Yeah, he's he's, great. Paul Mazursky wanted Jack Nicholson. I knew he wanted Jack, yeah. but he, he, Jack wasn't going to do it, so he came out to see me. Yeah. He took one, and he's kind of, that sardonic jewish thing yeah. you know and he he took one look and he said well i've seen it okay bye and i said no 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 no. wait wait don't you want to read he said read what i said the script the whole script yeah let's read okay okay you want to read <laughs> two and a half hours later we read the whole down and out yeah. not a single laugh between us yeah and he gets up and he goes jesus all right i'm out of here i'm out of here and i said no you know you got the role you got the <laughs> but i didn't want him to leave without getting that
0: role i love tropic thunder that was fun oh, you, yeah. like, you like doing comedy yeah yeah yeah
1: you know what that was uh ben had sent me uh another piece it was dark comedy yeah he really wanted to do it it was uh Uh, But the studio didn't want to do it, and he said, you know, we have another piece called Tropic Thunder, but I don't have much faith in it because I don't know if we can satirize Vietnam yet. I'll send you that script, and we'll have a reading of it. So I said, okay. And he said, it won't be with any of the studio heads. The only person that was in the cast, Steve Kogan,
0: he read. Steve Kogan. Shiona yeah, Reeves wrote yeah.
1: Ben's role, uh-huh. and uh, not Canterbury. Uh,
0: Geffen, uh, David Geffen. Geffen, yeah. Yeah,
1: Geffen was sitting right there. Yeah. And when Geffen went to that sitting, that word traveled. All of a sudden, there were, every executive was down there to yeah. sit at that table. <laughs> and they just yeah. saw the opportunity of that. And I the, loved
0: it. I think it's a, a brilliant movie. Oh, well,
1: Ben just, he loaded it. He yeah. loaded it. Yeah. And uh, unfortunately, I uh, the guy I was working with, brilliant actor. Um,
0: Danny? Danny. Danny McBride, so funny. Danny <laughs>
1: had been here eight years. He was just about to pack to
0: go back. I know. You know, yeah, no. back right, back I, south you know yeah and
1: here here's Danny he's got a lot of energy I yeah. didn't know he was that powerful yeah and I got a lot of energy so we just whap! you know we, he would say to me and they say do you think we were funny I said I don't know Denny. <laughs> <laughs> you,
0: know,
1: you know it's like two heads but you know.
0: he's funny man yeah he's, he's great. intense he's really great oh yeah, I wanted to ask you about uh, uh, affliction. Yeah, that's heavy shit, man. I mean, yeah. that guy. I can't like you know. I uh, did. Did you pull? Did you have to pull out some Iowa in that thing? Well, you know what I had. To Schrader's do? intense, dude. Yeah, I, I. Paul
1: called me and he said I've got affliction, and I'll send you the script. And I read the script, and off the script I said, Paul, we got to do this. You know. He said, Well, I'll get it financed, and we'll do it. So, I, I just kind of. Jagged along, and then one day I picked up the book yeah. Affliction, and I read the foreword. And in the foreword, Russell Banks talks about how many generations upon generations of eons of time, men have sit with their sit with their sons and not teach them how to love. That's the affliction. That's what it is. And their only recourse is violence then. They do not know how to love. So it was a process of not being able to love and the character, you kind of like the guy, but he always made that mistake with his daughter, his ex-wife, or his girlfriend, until he can't take it anymore. And when the old man goes, and Jimmy Coburn, I sent it to Paul Newman. Yeah. Newman said an interesting thing. He said, "I don't think my audience will accept me in this role." Right. You know. And I had to think about that for a while. I mean, Paul was absolutely right about yeah, that. Yeah, You know, yeah. not that he didn't...
0: The verdict was about as far out as they could go with Paul. <laughs> yeah. Right, that movie. Yeah. Like, you know, a yeah. down-and-out drunk lawyer. Yeah. He's not going to go any further no, than that. No, no.
1: You know, he didn't want to go further, and and he really didn't think they would accept, yeah, sure. accept him in that role. Couldn't
0: sell it. Yeah. Yeah.
1: yeah. Um, and he didn't want to go there because he had a son. Yeah. He lost his son. Oh, yeah. You know.
0: Coburn just like...
1: Oh, that. Jim, Jimmy, Jimmy scene. nailed it, and not only that, he made up for all the time that he had been he had gone away.
0: Through. Yeah, yeah.
1: Terrible crisis of arthritis. Right, right. And he he would lay in bed and he could not move his hands. And I don't know who the actor was, but it was a friend of Jimmy's. Said, "Jimmy, you got to do something." Yeah, I'm going to do it. He massaged his hands yeah. with oil until he got them straight and straightened out and then jimmy used msm and stuff like that so he he was able to function but wow. before that he was in a bed
0: that's a heavy movie well i guess i guess people can read more stories in the book i feel like we could just keep going <laughs> yeah I could, you know because we didn't even talk about the prince of tides or 48 <laughs> yeah. hours but hey we love those movies Nick. Yeah, yeah yeah we love you man that was a uh, that was great talking to you thank you it's fun to do it yeah real fun All right, that was, that was uh, exciting, wasn't it? We, we traveled. We did some traveling. Me and Nolte did some traveling. That was our 900th episode. Thank you for staying with us. Thank you for being here. Thank you for being a regular listener. Welcome if you're new. We're going to keep going. We're going to keep going. And I'm going to play the one guitar I have left in this garage through the one amp I have in here. Oh, and by the way, the Cat Ranch goes on the market this Sunday. Yeah, that's happening. Okay, guitar.